The Diocese of Harrisburg invites you to this year's annual women's conference, The Eucharist, Jesus in Our Midst, on October 15th at the Diocesan Center in Harrisburg. Speakers include EWTN's Barbara McWiggin, blogger and hobo for Christ Meg Hunter-Kilmer, spiritual life director Catherine Fennessy, and our most reverend Bishop Ronald Gaynor. Our speakers will focus on the courage and confidence faithful women find in the Eucharist. Attendees will also be able to participate in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament with benediction, confession, and mass celebrated by Bishop Gaynor. For more information and details on how to register, visit hbgdiocese.org. Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Troche, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. If you've been here for a while, you're familiar with my love of cinema. I think throughout the course of this program, I've made at least a dozen film references. From Rocky to Frozen to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and probably several more that I'm forgetting. Well, I'm about to make another one. Even if you've never seen it, which I honestly doubt, I promise you're at least familiar with the story. Maybe you even sing its Academy Award-winning song every time you see a rainbow. No? Just me? What if I said, Lions and Tigers and Bears? I bet you just finished that phrase with, oh my, didn't you? The Wizard of Oz was one of my all-time favorite movies growing up. I still get goosebumps when black and white Kansas becomes Technicolor Oz. Its memorable score, fantasy grounded in reality storytelling, and transcending characters have lived on long after Judy Garland skipped down that yellow brick road in 1939, and even longer since L. Frank Baum's groundbreaking novel. It's ranked at number six on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest films in the last 100 years, with stage performances still occurring and several little girls still dressing up in that iconic blue gingham dress on Halloween. Fun fact, one of the original five dresses worn by Garland had been given as a gift to Reverend Gilbert Hawk, founder of the drama program at Catholic University in 1972. It was thought to be lost forever, until last year, when it was rediscovered in the building named after Reverend Hawk, with Garland's name still scribed on the inside. One of my favorite moments in the movie is towards the end. Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion have finally made it to Oz and have been granted a meeting with the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. He sends them on a seemingly impossible quest to fetch him the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West. 
And when they return successfully, he tells them to come back tomorrow. As they're arguing, Dorothy's dog Toto runs off and discovers a curtain. He tugs on it and reveals an ordinary man operating a smoke machine, thunder sounds, and fancy lights. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, he shouts as he tries to keep up the facade. But it's too late. The jig is up. And as it turns out, the wizard is just a man. A very good man, but nothing more spectacular than you or I. When I was growing up, I had this inflated idea of what the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg was. I always envisioned this overarching society that sat on pedestals and handed out decrees. I half expected to see just that upon my first interview here, and thankfully was pleasantly surprised to realize there are real people working here with no pedestals in sight. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Bishop Ronald Gaynor, to help me pull back the curtain and reveal the man or in this case, the processes that govern some other areas of the church, like the choosing of a new bishop and why certain things are kept secret. Bishop Gaynor, thank you so much for joining me today. This is an honor and a privilege to have you here on Candid Catholic Convos. Happy to be with you, Rachel. Thanks so much for the invitation. I understand you have a milestone birthday coming up. How will this impact your vocation as a bishop? Well, it, it, indeed I do. Uh, August 24 is my 75th birthday, and it, it will impact, or already has in a sense, our church law, Canon 401, Paragraph 1, uh, requires that uh, a bishop, when he's uh, nearing the completion of his 75th year, that's the canonical language, that, that is your 75th birthday. When you're, when you're one year old, you've completed your first year. So, so your 75th birthday completes your, your 75th year of life. And uh, the canon 401, paragraph one, requires that the bishop writes a letter to the Holy Father and informs him that he's about to complete his 75th year, and you submit your resignation to the Holy Father that doesn't mean that you've resigned uh, as, uh, the for me, the Bishop of Harrisburg, but it puts the Pope on notice that when he chooses, he should begin a process to look for the next bishop, the 12th bishop of the Diocese of Harrisburg. So right now I'm simply in that holding pattern. Nothing changes in terms of my responsibilities and my vocation and the ministry that I perform as uh, the Bishop of Harrisburg until I receive notice uh, from the Holy Father that he has chosen uh, the next bishop. That's fascinating. I didn't know kind of like the inner workings of how that happened. So I'm guessing this isn't necessarily a personal decision. It's more one that's governed by the church. Can you expand a little bit more on that for me? Sure, gladly. Uh, and it is indeed not not a personal decision, uh, but a, a decision that's required by church law. Actually, up until the Second Vatican Council, so 1965, uh, bishops uh, rarely retired. Uh, if they had some major health issue mentally or physically, then they would, of course, ask the Holy Father for retirement. But typically, uh, bishops died uh, in, in their office. So the only bishop prior to me who has retired in the history of our diocese since 1868 has been Bishop George Leach. 
and uh, he retired in 1971, which was five years or six years uh, after the council. So in the Second Vatican Council, the bishops approved one of the final documents to be issued was called, its Latin title, Christus Dominus, uh, the Lord Christ or Christ the Lord. Uh, and it was a document on the pastoral ministry of bishops. And in number 21 in that document, it said for the first time that it is prudent for uh, bishops when they have the burden of age or illness uh, or some other uh, impairment uh, that they should request the Holy Father uh, retire them from the office. Uh, you remain a bishop, but you retire from the office of, a, of administrating and the office of a, as a diocesan bishop. So uh, that was the first time uh, that the uh, in the the document. Uh, on the ministry of uh, bishops that uh, it was suggested that bishops should retire. However, it didn't specify any age or when, and, and it was really more or less a, a suggestion. The next year, Pope Paul VI approved a document called uh, Ecclesiae Sancte, uh, the Holy Church or of the Holy Church. And in that, it, that, that document uh, specified norms to implement the Vatican II document on the pastoral ministry of bishops. And that got very specific um, in the first chapter, the first norms, uh, number 11. It said age 75 should be the time when uh, bishops submit their or offer uh, their resignation to the Holy Father for reasons of age or uh, uh, infirmity, whatever. And, and it could be done earlier if there are other conditions that pertain to the individual bishop. So since 1966, then, it's been a law of the church. What happened in our uh, 1980 Code of Canon Law uh, is that it was enshrined there in the canonical laws of the church. And so Canon 401 represents those two documents, the, the council document, Christus Dominus, and the implementation of Christmas, Christus Dominus by Pope Paul VI, uh, Ecclesiae Sancte. So that Canon now 401 requires every bishop when your, your 75th birthday is approaching to um, submit the, uh, your resignation, your offer of resignation. And then one waits until the Holy Father has made a choice. And then uh, there'll be a phone call, more than likely, from the Pope's representative here in the United States. He's called the Papal Nuncio. He represents the, uh, the Vatican city-state uh, as a diplomat to the U.S. government. And then he represents the Holy Father to the church here in the United States as that dual role uh, is called a nuncio. And it, most communications with bishops are done through his office. So I would expect at some point uh, to get a phone call uh, from uh, the nuncio that uh, announcing to me who the next bishop is and then how we're going to roll that out to the public. That's fascinating. So I'm guessing it's it's a pretty lengthy process in, in my husband's in the army. And when we, when we talk about processes in the army, we call it hurry up and wait. So I feel like <laughs> that's kind of a similar situation mm -hmm. that you're in, in terms of, of processes. It's not just you picking up a phone and calling the Pope and saying, Hey, it's my birthday. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't work that way at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it is determinate, uh, indeterminate. Some bishops have the resignation has been accepted within a few months. Uh, other times it's a year, and some have even gone beyond two years uh, after they uh, wrote their letter offering their resignation. So there's no way of telling how long the process will take. As I said, it, it'll, it'll, uh, so the, the process will begin uh, when the Pope decides to begin it, and, uh, and it can be a lengthy process. Yeah. 
Interesting. It feels like there's a sense of secrecy surrounding how bishops are selected, um, again, with the hurry up and wait. Is there anything that you can personally share on this process? Sure. Uh, I can, in general, and nothing has really happened yet, I can say that much, so that I wouldn't be revealing any any particular secrets about this process. But it is done under what's called the pontifical secret, and, and that is a, one of the higher levels of secrecy in the church, uh, and and not to be talked about. Once, once we begin to receive inquiries uh, and questionnaires, then the, the seal of secrecy applies. But the typical way in which this happens is that at some point in the near future, I'll probably get a questionnaire and I'll, I'll be asked about what I consider to be the strengths of the diocese, what, what, what's happening that's really good here and strong points. And on the other hand, what are areas that need attention and development? I'm looking at everything, the whole administrative, but the the, the, the sacramental life, the faith life, uh, the financial issues, uh, all, all of those, uh, every aspect of the uh, diocesan uh, life. And, uh, and I'll respond. Others will get the same thing. And these will be compiled. I'll probably also be asked for nominating a, a number, uh, maybe three possible candidates to be the next bishop. Other people will be asked to do the same thing. There is already a list. Every three years, the bishops of our province, and that's all of the, the Latin Rite bishops of Pennsylvania, meet, and we submit a list of 10 to 12 names of priests from our various dioceses with uh, biographical materials that we would consider and vote on as um, possible candidates to be considered for the episcopacy. Those are all uh, collated at the uh, nunciature. They send out questionnaires about those men. So in the end, there may be 40, 50, 60 questionnaires, but both clergy, religious, and laity would receive those, people that know them, and and, uh, give their assessment of that individual priest as a candidate, as, as a possible future bishop. So all of that material is assembled, and it's sent to an office at the Vatican, the, the office that helps the pope to select bishops, because only the pope can name a bishop. He's, he's the head of the College of Bishops, and uh, when one is named a bishop, you're not just the bishop over a local diocese, but you're also inserted into the College of Bishops of the Universal Church over which the Pope presides. So you have a local responsibility, and you also share in the uh, jurisdiction, the magisterium of the universal church with the Holy Father, under with and under the Holy Father. So um, Pope Francis, uh, I, I, I always tell the confirmation uh, uh, candidates when I meet with them, and, and this question comes up, um, if, if a bishop is needed in Argentina, or maybe somewhere else in a, a local, uh, in a, a, a diocese surrounding one of the countries around Argentina. Pope Francis, because of his experience as the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, would probably be able to name a, a priest there that he would like to be the bishop uh, of, of, a, of a particular diocese in that country or a surrounding country. So he wouldn't really need a lot of help, most likely. Uh, but he's got to name bishops in Australia and France and uh, uh, the United States and Canada, uh, all around the world, and he doesn't have familiarity. So the, this, the purpose of this office called the Congregation for Bishops, but it's, recently the name of all those offices were changed to Dicastery for Bishops, and the head of that uh, Dicastery assists the Pope, and in the end, uh, when a bishop is chosen, the Pope is given uh, the dossiers of three candidates, and it's called in Canada free election. The, the Pope then freely 
chooses uh, one of those three to be the next bishop of wherever. And in this case, uh, he'll, he'll be given three names with their backgrounds and information, and he'll choose one of them to be the next bishop of Harrisburg. So that's the way it happened. But that, that's all based on a lot of information that's been gleaned uh, through these questionnaires from the faithful uh, in the diocese and outside the diocese even. Uh, uh, so that if the individual is chosen, uh, they already have a good bit of information. And then what happens is that that person, um, even before I find out, uh, he'll be given a call uh, by the nuncio and say that our Holy Father Pope Francis has chosen you to be a bishop. Uh, and uh, you will accept. <laughs> That's pretty much the way it goes. And, uh, and then uh, you'll contact the Bishop Gaynor, and uh, you'll work out the time for the public announcement of that and the details. And in my case, uh, I received a second phone call after I was the bishop 11 years in the Diocese of Lexington. I received a call that I was being transferred from the Diocese of Lexington to the Diocese of Harrisburg. So we don't know yet uh, whether the, the next Bishop of Harrisburg uh, will be a, a priest who will have to be ordained a bishop then, or whether he'll be uh, already a bishop and be transferred here. Can I piggyback off of something that you said sure. quick? So if, for instance, say it's a priest who is not yet a bishop, mm -hmm. how does the ordination process work? Is it similar to what they went through to become a priest? It's a it's a beautiful as if you've been to a, the a priesthood ordination. It's a wonderful, wonderful ritual. Many ancient and very powerful gestures and symbols, and some of those are also found in the ordination of a bishop. The the prostration where the the candidate lies flat on the floor while the, the litany of saints is being prayed. He's asked a number of questions uh, uh, before that, just as the candidates for priesthood uh, are asked and diaconate. In the uh, uh, ordination of a priest, uh, the hands are anointed by the ordaining uh, bishop. In the ordination of a bishop, the oil is poured on your head. The, wow. the sacred chrism is poured. So the sacred chrism is used, but your hands are already anointed. And that is a beautiful part, too, uh, during the actual uh, consecratory prayer, making you a bishop. There are three bishops, one main or principal consecrator, and then two assistant consecrators. This is an ancient practice, uh, and it's done for two reasons. First of all, it expresses what I said earlier, that when you're ordained a bishop, you're inserted into this universal college of bishops. And so a representative number of three bishops there are symbolic of the college of bishops. Secondly, there's a canonical reason for doing it, and that is the, 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 the ministry of the bishop is so absolutely important in the church. Uh, he, this bishop will then go on to ordain priests. If his orders are not valid, then priests that he ordains will not be able to consecrate the Eucharist, will not be able to absolve sins. So to assure the validity of the bishop's orders, uh, three bishops are the consecrators because it's very unlikely that all three bishops could have invalid orders. So this is a practice that developed early in the church, and only in the most extraordinary circumstances, perhaps during a terrible persecution of the church or in a, in a country where the church has to operate underground, it, it's possible to have one bishop ordain a bishop whom the pope has elected. But typically, there are three consecrators 
uh, for the ceremony of a bishop. So it is uh, it is a beautiful ceremony, and it is quite different. When you kneel during the consecratory prayer, the book of the Gospels is held by two deacons over your head. It makes a little uh, a tent kind of a house, and the idea is that, that may you always dwell in the Word of God. Uh, for the people of God and for the church, so so that's it. the book is held over your head. It's it's, it's a beautiful and ancient gestures that are used there. The, the one interesting thing would be that if the new bishop for Harrisburg is not already a bishop, uh, if he's a priest, he has three months for us to arrange and get ready for the celebration of his ordination and installation. If the man who is chosen as the next bishop is already a bishop, as I was coming here, then you have two months from the time of the announcement until the uh, installation. So he won't, he's, not, he's already ordained, so the ceremony will be an installation of the bishop. And the essence of that is that uh, he's led uh, in, in the, a, a mass of installation, uh, and he's led to sit on the cathedra. Now, that's the, the chair of the bishop. It represents his office of teaching and his jurisdiction in the diocese. And so uh, he's led by uh, the, 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 the bishop to another bishop, to that chair, and he sits down. And that's taking possession then of the cathedral and of the diocese. So, so the big difference is if, if, the, if the man is a priest and not yet a bishop, he has three months to be uh, ordained and installed. Uh, that would take place in our cathedral. Um, and if he is a bishop, he has two months simply for a massive installation at the cathedral. That's fascinating. And everything sounds so beautiful when, with the ancient traditions and just the imagery. It, it sounds incredible and something once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing to, to witness. I think that's wonderful. So what are the next steps as, for our diocese as a whole? Well, of course, we'll, we continue uh, as normal uh, for the next month or, uh, until we, we find out uh, who, who the next bishop will be, and, and then we set a date either for his ordination installation or installation. But we'll, we'll certainly be remotely preparing for that. Uh, there are a lot of plans, but we can't do a whole lot because we don't know whether it's going to be ordination and installation or just installation. We don't know a date, so we can't uh, uh, you know, book any the hotels for because usually we would have a big um, a celebration, a banquet following the ordination so that the new bishop can begin to greet his flock so, but we, we so we, we can certainly prepare uh, it remotely, but a lot of the specifics can't be addressed until we know who and when. <laughs> sure. So, so a lot of right, hurry up and right wait. now we're exactly yeah. So <laughs> right now we're just sort of on hold. But as far as the daily life of the diocese, I'm I am the bishop until the new bishop is ordained and installed or installed. So uh, until that time, now actually another little detail that people might be interested in, and that is that uh, when we make the announcement of the, um, the new bishop, the pope at that time would accept my retirement. Okay? So once, once we knew there's a new bishop named, then the pope accepts my retirement, and typically 
uh, I would be named the apostolic administrator of the diocese. That's a kind of a fancy term, but it means that I would continue so that the diocese wouldn't be without um, you know, a, a, a chief authority. So I, I don't have the title anymore of diocesan bishop, but apostolic administrator. And pretty much uh, I, I still have the, 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 all of the rights and the duties, responsibilities uh, to uh, govern the diocese until the new bishop is installed. Till he sits on that cathedra and takes over the full administration of, of the diocese. So more than likely, once we find out who the new bishop is, at that moment, that means the pope has accepted my resignation. I become retired, but I'm also, until the new bishop is seated, installed, uh, I will be the administrator of the diocese. Fascinating. That sounds very interesting. So Bishop Gaynor, I think the world wants to know, how do you plan to celebrate your 75th birthday? <laughs> well, uh, quietly and privately, yeah, I have, I have no, no plans for uh, parties. We, we have a little tradition that my immediate staff has a, a luncheon uh, in, in our, uh, the meeting room up on the third floor here. So, so after, uh, I'm taking, I typically, for years and years, have taken two weeks of vacation before Labor Day. So I'll be out actually for my birthday. And the week we come back, well, I, the week I come back, we'll have a little lunch for my immediate staff. But I'm, I'm not, I have no uh, big party plans or celebrations for, for my birthday. I, we did ask if anyone uh, wanted to um, give a gift to me that I would prefer rather than a, a personal gift uh, that uh, people would make contributions to our diocesan seminary education fund. Uh, we're blessed in our diocese with uh, a, a nice number of seminarians. We could use more, but it's also one of our biggest uh, budget items. It's about $38,000 a year for uh, seminary educa seminarian education. So uh, what I have asked when people want to know what would I like or what I, I, uh, if anyone would like to make uh, a gift to me uh, in honor of my birthday, I would prefer that the gift be given to the uh, diocese for the education of our seminarians. So that would be a big help to our, our, our local church to uh, have that financial support to um, pay the seminary bills for our seminarians. So that uh, I've, I've asked that that be done in honor of uh, my upcoming birthday. I love that. That's wonderful. Bishop Gaynor, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you have a very wonderful birthday. And enjoy your time off and the rest of summer. Hey, thank you very much, Rachel. It's my pleasure to talk with you and for all of the faithful who listen. Uh, I hope it's been a help to give some idea what's uh, in store for us over these next uh, months, I guess, uh, regarding this time of transition. So I'd ask for everyone's prayers, certainly for me at my birthday and also for our diocese as we at least remotely uh, begin to prepare for transition and the welcoming of a new Bishop of Harrisburg. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org 
slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.